Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to you now. We pray that you would open your word to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it has been said more than once by more than one person that preachers really only have one sermon that they preach over and over again with some variation. I've heard uh, many bishops admit to this and other ministers, and, uh, and I know it to be true about myself. If you've been here more than once, you probably think, oh, he's got a theme to what he's going with. And uh, it's true of all of us, actually, I think, that uh, we kind of have a default uh, emphasis, a focus, a passion, even if you're not a preacher. You've got something that you like to talk about, something that you return to again and again because of how you've been impacted by it personally, because of the difference it made in your life. It colors your life. It colors your perspective. And uh, we can't help but see the world through this lens. And for me, uh, that is really an emphasis on the radical grace of God. The only thing that I have to say, really, is the thing that I've received. The thing that's changed my life forever. That met me in my place of need. Met me in my struggle. Met me in my exhaustion. And turned my world upside down. Namely, the message that God loves me and that he forgives me completely, fully, and unconditionally in his son, Jesus. And there's a particular sub-theme often in my preaching uh, that falls under that main heading of grace. And that is uh, that God is in control. God's sovereignty. It's something I've been talking about as we've been doing our daring series. Daring to pray, daring to build relationships, and today daring to invite. Because I think we wouldn't be able to dare to do anything if we thought it was all up to us. We've been saying that each week. Uh, we wouldn't be able to handle the pressure. <laughs> At least I wouldn't be able to. I'll speak for myself. But... Uh, God is actually in control, his sovereignty. And I think it's important that we return to it often because I think it's what we see in the Bible time and time again. We see uh, this issue of control. The issue of control. You know, our constant effort and often subsequent failure to be in control. And then the reality of God's sovereignty, his actual control over all things. It's one of those meta-narratives. It is something you see throughout Scripture from start to finish. And uh, it's something that we watch the world around us struggle with all the time. Who's in control, really? We all want to be, but things often go awry when we try to exert our power or our perceived power upon things. Things seem to go a little wonky. And um, I'm going to give you an example of this. It's an economic one. And uh, stick with me. Don't worry. It'll make sense. I promise. Um, there's an interesting side effect in our culture today where uh, we have the, the, so much freedom and luxury, frankly, in the West, especially in the U.S., uh, more than probably anybody else on the planet. And uh, all of this freedom, you could call it economic control. We've got all this power because we've, we're a very wealthy nation. And the result of it is that we have too many options, too many options. There are too many possibilities. Uh, 
We have so much choice. And I'll give you an example of how I know this to be true. So Kate and I, we went to seminary up in Pittsburgh at a school called Trinity. Trinity. It's where all the clergy of Holy Cross went. And uh, they often have international students come. Every year there's some, a handful of students, and usually from Africa. And we have some African friends who were there while we were there. And we would ask them, how is it going? You know, how is the transition to the U.S.? Because it was a huge culture shock for them. But they would often say, I'm telling you, more often than not, and it was multiple people that would say this, that their biggest difficulty was going to the grocery store. And we'd say, really, why? And they'd say, well, particularly the bread aisle. Because in their country, if they had bread in their, in their shop, they'd have like one kind of bread, or maybe two, max. And they were like, this is amazing, you know? And then they walk into our supermarkets, and they go to the bread aisle, and there's hundreds of kinds of bread. And they said it was just completely overwhelming. More, more than one said they just had to leave because they were so stressed by hundreds of variations of bread. There were too many choices to the point where they couldn't decide. They froze. Uh, the same thing is depicted, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Hurt Locker. It's uh, like 2008, 2009, I think. Great movie, Hurt Locker. There's some violence, though, disclaimer. But The Hurt Locker is awesome. And uh, the main character comes back from war, and he's trying to readjust back to everyday life, everyday domestic life. And he goes to the grocery store for his family. And he is in the cereal aisle. He goes to the cereal aisle. And he sits there and looks down one end of it and looks down the other. And you can see in his face, just like, this is ridiculous. And he just grabs the box that's right in front of him, you know? Because there's just so many choices. When he was in the war zone, he was uh, a bomb specialist, so he was disarming bombs. It was very simple. He had one choice, either disarm the bomb or get blown up. You know, that was what his job was. And uh, it made life very simple. And now he's sitting there thinking about that compared to all these stupid cereal options that are all basically boxes of sugar anyway. And, uh, and he's just, you know, overwhelmed by it. And this is our life. You know, we have tons of choices in our life today. You know, just from that, from going to the supermarket to what should we watch on Netflix, you know, or uh, what kind of toilet paper should I get, whatever. These are all ridiculous choices, but we have tons of choices, endless options. And when we talk about daring to invite, when we talk about actually wanting to reach out to people, it can often feel as crippling. Do I invite everybody I know to come to Life Group? You know, do I invite everybody I know to come to ION? And the answer is no, that'd be ridiculous. You should invite everybody you ever meet to come to ION. <laughs> anyway, just had to get that in there. Um, truly though, when you think about outreach, when you think about the need of the world out there, it can be very overwhelming. And it's often a pressure that we start to feel uh, when we think about inviting. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I certainly have over my lifetime. When I think of outreach, when I think about daring to invite somebody, I fall back into this belief that it's up to me, that I'm in control, and that I have to make sure I invite the right way 
you know, and say it in such a winning way, winsome way, that they're going to come, you know, and make, I feel all this pressure that it's my responsibility. And it leads to the same result that my African friends had, that I often freeze up because it just seems too overwhelming. The thought of it prevents me from even making the effort. Well, as I said before, the Bible has something to say about the question of control, and specifically in the context of going out, inviting other people. In our Acts passage today, Acts 16, we see God act. It's one of uh, my favorites about outreach because it's so explicit. I'm going to back us up to verse 6, which you guys don't have. We start at verse 9, but I'm going to give us a little context in verse 6. This is Paul and Silas. They're on a missionary journey. They're going off to share the good news that they've received, that Jesus uh, has come to save sinners. And we see this peculiar thing happen. Luke is the author of Acts, and he is writing this. And he says that the Spirit of God stopped them from going to certain places that they had intended to visit. Luke writes, They were forbidden, he uses the word forbidden, by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And this is where we catch up to our reading today. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia. Luke is now joining the group. They caught up with him. So Luke is firsthand writing this. And they concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So you can see who is in control in this passage very, very clearly. It is the Lord who is directing them on their journey. It's not always this blatantly obvious, but uh, the truth is still there. That God is the one that directs our steps. That God is the one who is actually the real evangelist. He's the one that came after us in the first place. He's the one that made us in the first place. This is the context in which our outreach falls. He's in control, and yet we see this very strange thing that God is stopping them from going to certain places. Places that Paul and Silas clearly thought made a lot of sense. You know, why wouldn't we want to go to these places, Lord? To Asia. But the Lord wouldn't allow them to go there because he had some other place for them to go. He had a plan. He wanted them in Macedonia, in the city of Philippi, to preach the gospel to Lydia. And this is where we get confronted with uh, the reminder that we are not in control, all right? So I was talking about being overwhelmed with all of our options, and the idea of God being in control can be a very uh, relieving one. And at the same time, we get confronted when God tells us not to do something we think makes sense, then we don't really like the idea of God being in control, right? Have you ever been in that position where you've, you know, you're thinking, I really think we should do this? Or I really think we should buy that house. And then just roadblock after roadblock after roadblock keeps happening. And God is sending you a very clear message. Don't buy the house. It's not going to work. Or whatever. You probably have other examples. But moments where you have something that you think you should be doing and God stops you. Then we don't like the idea of him being him being in control. 
But there's good news in it. When we think, uh, if you're thinking like, you know, an evangelist, and you're very fired up and you want to go reach the world for the Lord, and he tells you to not go someplace, you might ask, you know, why wouldn't you want these people to be saved? You know, this doesn't seem to make sense. But as we see in this passage, it's not because he doesn't want them to be saved, it's because he actually has a plan. This is the underlying good news of God's control, is that there actually is a plan, that he knows what he's doing, and he just doesn't want, for this example, Paul and Silas to go there right now, because they will go there later. We find that out. The city that Paul wanted to go to is Ephesus, and Ephesus uh, makes a lot of sense. It's like saying, let's go to New York. You know, if we reach people there, then we'll have this huge influence, because Ephesus was one of the biggest cities in Asia. But God says, not right now. The time is not right. And that's one of the things that we often, uh, our discomfort often comes up against with God's control, is that we don't understand his timing. We're often uh, wanting to run ahead. I don't know about you, but I always am. I'm always thinking things should be happening a little bit faster than they actually do. And uh, the Lord likes to pump the brakes on me. Can you guys relate to this at all? Um, I have felt things, you know, where I really want to get there. This job, for example, coming here to South Carolina. I started talking to Chris Warner about it. um, Jeez, I don't know. It was four and a half years ago. And Kate and I were ready. We were ready to come. And Chris was saying, you know, give us time. You know, I've got to make sure we get this, this in the order. And, you know, the vestry needs to approve this, that, and the other. And it took over a year for everything to get lined up for us to come. But we were sitting there, you know, we were ready to go within a month of me talking to Chris. And we had to pump the brakes. God kept pumping the brakes on us. And there were reasons. The reasons why is because he had things that he wanted us to solve and uh, settle in Pittsburgh before we came. And I learned after I got here that he was doing a lot of things with Holy Cross that Chris was working through so that we could come. His timing is way bigger, and uh, it has the full perspective of his plan in view, and we don't see it often. And so we, we get frustrated at times when we come up against God's sovereignty. But as we see in this passage, even though we don't understand it all the time, even though it might be uncomfortable at first, his plan always is best. Take Lydia, for example. So Paul's vision is of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And then when they get there, they realize that there aren't enough faithful men. This is one of the things that's the subtext of this passage. There was no synagogue in Philippi. In order to have a synagogue or a place of worship for the Jews, you had to have at least ten faithful men. That was the, the rule. You had to have a quorum of ten men to have a synagogue in a city. And there weren't enough men. And so Paul and Silas decide to go down to the river where they might find a place of prayer because there's no synagogue to go to. And then they meet these women that had gathered there to pray. And God clearly, as Luke records, God opens up Lydia's heart to pay attention to what Paul said so that the beginning of a church would start in Philippi. 
If Paul had gone holding hard to that vision that it's a man I'm supposed to meet, or if he were going with his preconceived notion of how he's supposed to reach Philippi or you know, whoever's there, he would have never been able to see what God was doing. And yet the Lord leads him through the whole thing and shows him that it's actually this group of women that he wants him to preach to. And we see later in Acts that Lydia's faith leads to the conversion of many, and it becomes the Philippian church, which we have a letter that Paul wrote to them. So he founds a church through this group of women and through Lydia specifically. God's sovereign control leads to very unexpected things. You know, we don't often go to the obvious place. He may not take you where you think you should go. But he has a good plan, and he will lead you to where he wants you. And that's clear from this passage. We don't often understand everything. I don't know about you, but I feel that way most days. Um, I've got two little girls, and um, I feel like I understand less and less every day. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, I know that the Lord has entrusted them to us, and uh, us to them, and we, we, tr- we walk through life together. And we pray and ask him for guidance and direction. The girls are exhausted right now because we had a weekend with Kate's family. They were in town because Kate had a birthday on Friday. And um, so we stayed up late, you know, much later than they're used to. So this morning we're in church and they're just both in tears, you know, at the family service. And it's just one of those things where you're like, okay, this is new. And uh, you, take it, you take it as it comes. Um, <clears throat> As we think about going out, as we think about inviting people, I wanted to highlight this passage today because I wanted us to see, first of all, that God is the evangelist. God is the one who actually sends us. He's the one that reached all of us in the first place. We talked about it last week, that there's somebody in your life that you didn't plan on, somebody in your life that came and shared something about Jesus with you whether it be a parent or a sibling or an aunt and uncle or a friend or a pastor, somebody spoke to you about the Lord and that had a huge impact on you to the point where you're here today. God is the one who's actually after us. He's the one that actually knows who is ready, who he's prepared to hear the message at any given moment. And that's what we see with Paul and Silas. They had plans and God changed their plans. And he sent them to Lydia, and he opened Lydia's heart to hear. This passage emphasizes that the Lord is the one who is going to lead us. And so when you think about going out into this world, and this world is desperate, if you watch the news for just five minutes, you will see the desperation of this world. People are exhausted. People have way too many options. People are so paralyzed by things in our culture that, you know, they're just gluing themselves to their phones or to to video games or to whatever. We try to find some kind of distraction so we don't have to actually deal with all the different things that are coming at us at any given moment. This world is a place full of need. And when you think about going out into that place, it can be very overwhelming. You can feel like my African friends in the bread aisle where you just say, "I, I don't even want to try. I give up, you know. I don't know what whole grain wheat with rye and, you know, pistachios or whatever is. 
So I'm just, I'm out, you know? It's that kind of idea, I think, when we think about the world and we think about the great need in it. It can cause us to not even take the step, cause us to not dare to invite anyone. But in this passage we see, and in our gospel passage too, we see the Lord in control, the one who's leading. In the gospel we see Jesus uh, walk by and John the Baptist testifies to who he is and his disciples start following him. They hear this good news. It's the guy they've been waiting for. They hear the Messiah has come, the, the Savior, and so they go and follow. And then who do they invite? They go off and invite their closest friends and their brothers, people they already knew. They deal uh, in what they know already. And we see the Lord move sovereignly through that, because when he meets Peter, he was clearly expecting Peter, because he renames him right then. And when he sees Nathanael, he was expecting Nathanael. And he tells Nathanael that I saw you before you came, even under the fig tree. And we see Jesus in his sovereignty moving through the mundaneness of these guys' relationships. It's an encouraging word to us because it shows us that the Lord is going to actually use you where you are. And he's going to use you in the people's lives that you already know. And he very well might lead you like he did Paul and Silas to people you don't know. But when he does, he's going to make it clear. He's going to give you the words to say. He's going to go before you and he's going to prepare their hearts just like he did with Lydia. I want us to hear that daring to invite, daring to reach out is always in this context of a God who goes before us in everything. It doesn't have to be an anxiety-filled moment. You can actually go in freedom and peace because he is actually with you. You don't have to figure out everything. You don't have to try to know every detail of his plan. Just know that he is in control and he's with you and he's leading you. And never forget our first step to this series which is prayer. Whenever you do feel overwhelmed, whenever you do uh, feel hesitant, when you don't know what to say, go back to step one and pray. Ask the Lord to lead you. Ask him to be the one who simplifies the choices for you, because he will. I promise you he will. He's going to give you the things to say. He's going to lead you to the people in front of you. He's going to give you ears to hear. It's one of the things I've said before is that when you are paying attention, when God is putting people in front of you, you'll hear that they'll start to share things about their lives that actually probably have something to do with something you've gone through. They mirror an experience that you've had. And you are, you'll see that that's the Lord putting them in your path because you actually have something to say. You have a testimony. The Lord is the one that leads. He is the evangelist. So I encourage you today, with this good news, I want us to hear it again before we go, because it is the thing that makes you want to invite anybody anyway. Jesus Christ is actually in control, that he actually loves you, and that he forgives you for everything. From the beginning of your life to the end. He's already seen it all, and he's taken it upon himself on the cross, and he said, you're forgiven. 
You can rest in him. He's the good news. He's the person you're inviting people to meet. You can say what uh, Philip said to Nathaniel, just come and see. Come and see. Because you know that it's actually good. You've experienced it. And it's the thing that makes you want to invite people anyway. The fact that God is actually your Lord, that he actually loves you and he actually forgives you. So as we go out, let's remember that we're doing all of this in the context of God going before us. That he has all of it in his hands and he's going to show us exactly who he wants us to see. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for being in control. We thank you for the fact that we're inviting people to come and meet you. That it's actually all in your hands. That we can rest in your control. And that you will have your way. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the people that you put in front of us. Help us to see them and to hear them. And I pray, God, that you would give us the words to say to them. That we wouldn't be afraid. That we would know that you're with us in the midst of it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.